we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Well, executives at uh, some of the largest insurance companies in the United States are alarmed that teenagers, uh, not just teenagers, but young people, young, young Americans in the prime of their life are, for no reason, they're dying at a record pace. And they're calling it a monumental outflow of death claims that are dragging on profits and shaking up the industry and they're taking a look at all of this a very interesting report here and a whole lot more we'll talk about today friends on america out loud pulse it is malcolm out loud here along with my co-host dr peter mccullough so this report uh, come out let's see october 26th uh, just recent here with insurance news net the stats and what i see here uh are pretty stunning dr mccullough and we've speculated for the other shoe to drop and i don't know what the other shoe is but let me just say that the mortality rates we're talking numbers that are 20 percent above the norms here in 2023 what are you seeing on this what do you think about this mortality should not be progressively going up after a pandemic a pandemic epidemiologically has a culling effect meaning that older, more frail people get sick with the pandemic illness and they pass away. So in fact, coming out of a pandemic, some expected deaths have already occurred in a sense through the illness. And we wouldn't expect in 2022 and 2023 to have mortality go up. And and in this report, it indicates it's not mortality of old people. It's mortality of younger people going up. And this is very disturbing. Yeah. So and they, they they don't quite point to any one thing, do they? They sort of leave it very vague. Uh, but there is uh, they say they're especially concerned by the data from the CDC uh, and prevention uh, that show all these mortality rates are uh, rising for different categories of people. Uh, let's see. And the numbers and the, I mean, obviously, you know, the one thing about insurance companies is they are happy to take your money, Peter, but they surely don't want to pay claims. <laughs> We've all experienced that in our lives one time or another, I'm sure. But uh, are you seeing anything else to this end? I mean, is this an isolated thing? Are there any other conversation reports or anything else going on in the industry other than the things we've been talking about? No, it's happening all over. Remember who has life insurance. It's largely younger employed people where the life insurance is offered through employment. And... um, you know, and, and also, too, when a death occurs in a younger person, uh, let's say, uh, you know, a person in his 40s, somebody who's married, let's say the man dies in bed suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, the woman is left with a family and no no breadwinner. So that life insurance policy becomes a pretty important part of the equation for survival of the, of the spouse and the kids. And so... We expect that these are going to be a lot of claims paid. And they, some of these could be pretty big claims paid. And remember that the insurance companies have all different types of um, exclusions. Well, if you died of a drug overdose, or if you died of 
you know, an act of terrorism, or if you died in a fire or flood, you're down to basically, if you, you know, one of the few things that you would die of that would be paid would be a sudden unexpected death, which is exactly what's happening here. And uh, other important populations, our CDC has reported that infant mortality for the first time has gone up in 20 yeah, I've been seeing those reports actually over the last infant few mortality weeks. Yeah. For the very first time, yeah. a maternal mortality. So mothers getting pregnant and getting and dying during pregnancy or dying 42 days after they deliver is at an all-time record high. Now, this report from insurance companies that workers, we're talking people you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, well above a Six Sigma event. Uh, you know, the exposure out there is mass vaccination injections every six months, of which there are 3,400 published peer-reviewed papers on serious problems that occur, including fatal outcomes. And you put it all together, you'd say, well, what is the smoking gun? In the article, what they state is, well, um, there may be decreased access to services like hematology, oncology, and, and, and cardiovascular services. Well, you know, I think beyond 2021, that's not the case, Malcolm. We've been open for business for two years now. Yeah. Uh, this story, too, is not going to go away. I, I'm going to suggest to you, this is probably going to get worse. You know, I was just thinking, based on the insurance companies as well, with what you were just talking about. Just remember now, Peter, as well, all throughout COVID, all of those people who did die, even from COVID, uh, insurance, what I'm suggesting, because of the level of deaths, the insurance companies had to pay out an enormous amount of claims for those who had insurance. And a lot of people do have life insurance or whatever, and they paid out a lot of claims. So what I'm saying is they're already on on upside backwards. You know what I'm talking about coming through the COVID. And that's pretty big, isn't it? Right. That would well, be that big. was one of the one of the questions in the piece was, yeah. do they have enough reserves? Exactly. My point companies- have enough reserves to keep paying out these claims yeah. without making a big adjustment in premiums. Now, some insurance premiums, the way they're set up is they're fixed premiums. They they can't increase the rate. Other ones they can. Right. And you know, on an annual basis, when people go through open enrollment, this is what I think is going to happen. The insurance companies have yet to simply say it's related to vaccination, nor have they done the appropriate analyses like link the death records to the vaccine records. And believe me, these actuaries at these companies, they have access to everything. Um, You know, what they're very likely to do is still not mention the vaccines and then increase rates on everybody. That's what I would anticipate. Yeah, I I can see now. Now I I haven't, this is, I'm glad we talked about this because I think everybody can sense now with the cost of life insurance the industry itself, there's probably going to be an increase of new policies for everybody because of the hit they've taken, as you say, in the premiums they've had to pay out. And now with all of this, with this uptick now, you're talking 20% above historic norms. And this isn't just people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, Peter. This is teenagers, young people, which, as you say, make no logical sense whatsoever. People don't die of nothing at 20, 30, 40. I mean, we're designed to live longer than that, obviously, with an average lifespan. Uh, so what do you point to? I mean, it's not like we've had some other outbreak or something else going on. I mean, they're going to have to come to the altar on this at some point, aren't they? And I don't know what they do about it. But They're simply going to need to merge the records. The CDC has the vaccine administration records. They have the national death index. The uh, insurance companies have all types of actuarial data. You know, believe me, they know when someone dies. Right. Uh, and, And so in our country, death is not a secret. 
uh, there needs to be a Manhattan Project to put this together. There ought to be some rules applied, empirically applied, to indicate what deaths are potentially vaccine-related, and they're going to have to figure it out. I mean, there was a, a paper, a story out of Japan today indicating that there's probably they're probably just going to start to pay. The government's going to start to pay families for these deaths. Wow. So it, at some point in time, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, obviously all these people, a lot of these people died of the vaccines. They can't sue the vaccine companies. We know all that. So that was, uh, you know, a big savings for those companies. But Big Pharma is the one that got rich out of this whole thing. The insurance companies didn't. It was Big Pharma. Uh, there, this is going to this is going to build this story. I can predict it right now. And just down the road here, somewhere ahead, uh, we're going to know a lot more and it's going to come out and it's it's going to have to be accountability somewhere. This is probably one of the driving forces of this. And these insurance companies are not going to take this lying down either. These kinds of losses, Peter, I've got news for you. Uh, so something's going to happen. You know, it is interesting when you try to apply for privately for life insurance, Malcolm, they put you through, you know, a million questions. There's blood tests. The nurse comes out to your house. They do blood tests. They inquire some more. One little thing out of whack, a high blood pressure, a prior history of, of, of a treated cancer or something, you're knocked out of insurance before you know it. They're so tight on this. I wonder how in the world they're going to treat vaccination because what i think will happen is there'll be two separate major groups of people those who are vaccinated and those who wow wow. they're going to have different mortality characteristics Mm. isn't that going to be interesting fascinating and for those who didn't get it it's going to be very interesting uh you know it's funny when you talk about the insurance too i have to tell you right now uh i'm going i haven't had a physical myself i don't know how often you get one yourself well you're a doc do you ever get how often you get a physical i go once a year you do do okay. I thought maybe you were like the plumber who never cleaned the toilet. I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's what happens when people are in the business. They don't really, you know, execute right or something, you know. Uh, but all right, so you do get it. You're a good guy. Then you get it. Well, you could uh, say, what's the value of going once a year? Right. You know, the things sneak up on people. And that's exactly they, they, it. You know, yeah. Hepatitis, for instance, yeah. hepatitis C yeah. sneaks up on people. Renal failure. Yeah. sneaks up on people well There's i gotta that. tell you something now i gotta tell you i got a full confession with you on here now i haven't been since before covid because i i haven't been uh wanting to it's just been a not uh a bad situation over the last few years Try, yeah i thought you know it, it, some of these are still doing it actually you remember you had to go to the doctors throughout these last few years you'd have to stay in the car you'd have to they'd have to bring one person at a time they'd have to put a mask on and all that i said get out of here i ain't playing your game anyways so I have a physical by the by chance tomorrow. I'm having my first physical. Yeah. I have oh yeah. So I'm full confession. I haven't had one in well, it's before COVID, Peter. So it's been four years uh, about that. So I'm going to tomorrow. I'm I'm going to be a good boy and I'm going to have get through the whole ring of a row and get a physical. And he's got to tell me what we need to do and all this. Get a checkup. Open up the hood. See what the hell I'm doing. What's going on? If I'm gonna live a long life here, whatever, or if I need more life insurance. I don't know. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, you're, you're looking at a thorough digital rectal exam. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you, Malcolm, I'm going to be checking up on you, see what they've uh, turned up. But the point is, there is some value of this. About 70% of the value is actually in the laboratories, the blood testing, because you, know, you don't want to get way behind on a prostate cancer, way behind on incipient renal failure, blood chemistry problem. Uh, We had a guy today in the office, 
dangerously high calcium level. It causes seizure or cause him to go in a coma. Uh, and he's he's got a cancer brewing. It's in his bones. And and boy, we're glad we got the labs because we can intercept this now and, and avoid a lot of complications. Yeah. So the yeah. labs are important. Uh, remember, yeah. it's, it's PLCL, prostate, lung, cancer, uh, breast, o- o- ovary, that we do general cancer screening uh, on. And it's only partially effective. So, uh, you know, women at age 45 start undergoing mammography, probably stop at age 75. Family history uh, increases the surveillance there. Everybody starts undergoing colonoscopy at age 50. And about 80 or some percent of the value of the of the colonoscopy is the very first one because either you're forming polyps or you're not. Right. And then I had that, one a few years ago, uh, or maybe five, six years ago, but before COVID, Peter. And I got to tell you, I got sick from, you know, the stuff they give you the night before, the stuff you yeah, take? Yeah, that'll clean uh, you out. Yeah. Oh, it got, I got sick, really sick from it, man. I got sick from that badly. I did not have a good experience with it at all, by the way, you know. I tell you, my dad took that. My dad said, I'm never going to have one of those. And <laughs> my dad, I tell you, he could cuss like you, like nobody else. And he just was not going to have that thing up his butt. But he did get the most value out of it, which is that initial one. You're loaded up with polyps. You're on a different course than if if you're if you're clean. Yeah. Now, um, huh. you know, so the colonoscopy has a value, but later on that can be converted to a colo guard, which is simply a, a simple. A, I did that as well, by the way. That's convenient now. That's really yeah. easy. So, yeah. so you got that. So Comes what else do we got? House. We've yeah. got uh, women downstairs have uh, ovary uh, and uterus. Yeah. Uh, exams and at some point in time we just figure listen we, we're going to stop at age at 75 or, or so and then of course men have the old prostate that's the that's the friend of manhood uh and um it's been said malcolm 90 percent of us will actually develop prostate cancer 90 percent 90 yeah 90 you die with it and little nodule here and there but you know we do the digital rectal exam which you'll enjoy tomorrow and then you'll have the blood PSA test. And the combination of that is what we yeah. kind of keep a watch on. Well, I'm anxious to have this. I have to, full, again, disclosure to you, uh, I'm uh, actually excited to have the physical. I booked it. I said to my wife, in fact, i got to tell you, uh, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, I said, I really need to get him for a physical. She said, why? What's the matter? I said, nothing's the matter. I said, I haven't been in about four years. She said, yeah, but you're perfectly healthy. You don't need anything. You're going to live forever. I said, what, what, how do you say that? I said, I need to make sure. I said, you know, God has me on a mission here. I'm working hard, but, you know, I got a lot of stress as well. I need to get in for a physical and make sure I'm doing all right. And if not, I need to know because, you know, every time I've gone into the past, Peter, all my numbers and signs are like really good. I'll say, oh, this is good. This is good. You're good here. Your cholesterol is good. No doubt. You got, I mean, a bing and a bing and a bing and a bing. And I thought, oh, I feel like Superman. I walk out of there high as a kite. Now I, I just, I'm a little anxious to have this done because it's been about four years. And I want to hear the doc, what he says. And I'll tell you what, I'm either going to be in a good mood next week when we talk, or I'm going to be not a happy camper. I'll tell you, either one or the other. You know, let me give you an example. I mean, this is, again, there's there's value in doing this, at least annually. The last patient I finished up with, he's got a leukemia. Mm. He's got an adult leukemia. How was it picked up? It was picked up on an annual mm. CBC blood test. His white count was high, and wow. that's how it was detected. So a lot of times we can detect things before people get really, really sick. And at least get ahead of the game on treatment. So, yeah. you know, anybody can can give a tube of blood. It's it's not the end of the world. Oh, let me say one other uh, illness mm-hmm. that's super common, Malcolm. Mm-hmm. 8% of men and 15% of women get this problem. You know what it is? It's low thyroid, hypothyroidism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
And mm. so it's easily correctable with a thyroid replacement. Natural replacements mm. work fine. So mm. the bottom line is uh, it's mm. valuable to go once a year. I've talked myself into, I'm a little bit behind right now. Mm. Um, I'm going to schedule uh, my appointment and uh, and get it done. In fact, my well, doctor- I was encouraged. You see, now I've been an encouragement to you on the broadcast here, getting you to no, book your appointments. Funny, my doctor's office called and I had changed my clinical offices. So he's, he's probably thinking I'm going to change my my venue to get all this done. Uh, but but it is valuable. And uh, everybody just needs to be assiduous on problems. Uh, i tell you another one common is just a quick look over skin, especially, you know, who's going to look over the skin on your back, see if there's a funny mole or cancer. I had a patient today with a early skin cancers around his scalp. They're easily treated at this stage, uh, actually with a topical cream. It's called actinic keratosis, but we let these grow to be big squamous cell cancers. Now we're talking about skin surgery. Yeah. yeah. So all he's got to do is see a doctor who knows yeah. what they're doing and you can be guided into yeah. things that the treatments are much easier. When you catch now, them if, early. If, it's yeah, early. If you yeah, would have really skipped for five years, these would have been disaster yeah. invasive skin cancers and we have what's called Mohs surgery. Oh my gosh, Malcolm, what a big deal. My dad went through that twice. It's it's great surgery. I mean, it's it's a, it's a miracle that most surgery delivers such a wonderful outcome. But it's it can all be avoided if skin cancers, for instance, caught very early and taken care of. Right. Well, I've been lucky. I've I've been healthy. I take a lot of, as you know, things of lifestyle and all. But um, and God has been good to me. I hope that continues uh, tomorrow when I see the doctor for the first time in four years. I'll report back and see. Oh, it's just going to be earth shattering. They're probably going to roll out the red carpet. I don't know. I just going to say, Rip Van Winkle, where have you been? I know. I know. I wasn't even planning to. I don't even know why I bought this up. I wasn't even planning it. But (laughs) I I think I really wasn't. I had no. Well, no. Everybody's going to be calling in. I know. Oh, it wasn't even on my mind to talk about it. I don't know even why it came up. We were, oh, what were we talking about insurance companies? That's in the money there dollars and people dying and stuff. And I thought, you know, I just booked an appointment here. I guess that's why it came up. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to talk to you also about this other story. Uh, I found this interesting. Uh, and the lawmakers in Texas and Florida, they the headline is that they're undermining COVID vaccination efforts. And I just started to chuckle inside, of course, as I do. And uh, but this is a fight with uh, again, this is the, an overburdened um, federal government that is trying to push this stuff onto a public. And it's the state's rights, frankly, absolutely their rights to say, no, thank you, Uncle Sam. We do not wish to engage. It is a state's rights. And uh, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, uh, you know, so interesting here. uh, There's a rule added to the Texas budget that went into effect September 1st that forbids health departments, Peter, and other organizations funded by the state government to advertise, recommend, or even list COVID vaccines alone. They they, they can inform patients that they're available with other products and stuff, but they can't push that onto a public. This is beautiful. This is the way it should be. This is the way it should have been everywhere. This is the way it should be as an option. It's the way we were raised. It's how we lived up until this whole mandate business. Um, Tennessee, same thing. Their health department. Florida's the most extreme, as you know. You and I talked about mm-hmm. this with uh, Ladapo. Uh, he, they, they say, don't do it. They, they, they say, don't do it. That's what they say, right? Right? It's true. And, you know, there's now some local municipalities in uh, in Idaho and Florida. I've just done a feed today on that where they're just strongly advising against uh, reiterating that. Uh, 
the states have a consumer product protection role. And if the federal government's not going to do their job on this and protect the public, the, the states can step in and do that. That was my testimony at the Arizona Senate. I think there's there's no problem in doing that. They should have done that for remdesivir, and they should have done it for the vaccines. Those are the really the two harmful products that came out during the pandemic. There should have been a lot of safety concerns put on these products. This uh, stat, I wanted to ask you uh, if I'm anxious actually to get your thoughts on this. This I don't. It's it's really hard to understand sometimes. Um, so just this past month, a KFF poll found that 84 percent of Democrats said they were confident in the safety of COVID vaccines. Only 36 percent of Republicans uh, believe that way. This is a drop, dramatic drop from 21 when two thirds of Republicans were vaccinated. But now your numbers are 84 and 36. Why do you think just off the cuff there is such a disparity in these two ideologies and the way people vote and the way they believe or don't believe? And it's pretty, pretty radical, isn't it? Have you seen these Kaiser Family Foundation surveys, Malcolm? I Tell mean, me. they are really biased. So, uh, like all Poland, like all Poland. Oh, yeah. So it'll be something like this. Uh, don't you think you should take these life-saving <laughs> COVID-19 vaccines that are super good for you? Yeah. I mean, they're just so biased. So th- right. the fact that that anybody on a Kaiser Family Foundation uh, survey could indicate they would do anything other than take a vaccine is miraculous. What's actually more important, the KFF survey, is to look on the negative responses. And recently, June, July, they were uh, had a statistic. It was about a third of people overall who responded said, "Listen, they think the COVID vaccines have killed thousands of people." How about millions? Uh, uh, you know, that thousands in the United States. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, probably millions worldwide, but thousands. I thought that was telling. Uh, but what they have teased out and what you reported mm-hmm. is a difference between likely Republican and likely Democratic. But are they asking the same question to both versus a different question? Because yeah. I'm assuming it's the same question to both. Well, they're it's asking st- the same question. Well, it's still a disparity, though, Peter, of 84 it and 36. Is. Why? They, they've identified this disparity. And there is something about the left, yeah. which is pro-vaccine, Jeez. and something on the right, which is you know, at least somewhat closer to, you know, concerned about risk benefits or what wants to some type of fair balance uh, on this. And it it is interesting. You you see it in states like California and and New York, much more left-leaning states, far more pro-vaccine. States that are more neutral, Florida and Texas, you tend to be more neutral. Uh, you know, even in, in I, do, I don't know about Florida, but I can speak for Texas. You know, in Texas, you know where the big left-right divide is? It's urban versus rural. Uh, every major urban area uh, swings left in Absolutely. Texas. Absolutely, yeah. And then the, the rural swings. They always left. fall out of the cities, Peter. That's what, that's countrywide, all through the nation. It's all the cities urban. That's another, that's another odd oddity, isn't it? It always ends up in the urban cities the leftists uh, and the blue cities. And those are the ones that are having all the homelessness and, and drug problems and everything else. I'm sorry to yeah, say. But, but, but why are the people on the left uh, back to nature and uh, my body, my choice and free to be you and me? How come they're not out in the rural parts of America? I mean, it is interesting. 
Uh, they tend to be city slickers, I guess. I mean, but whenever you look at an election map, it is so interesting to see, even in the most conservative states, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the cities tend to be. Well, if you right. look at the whole country as a whole, even Peter, it's mostly red because of all the rural areas. We look mostly yeah. red and the blue yeah. is dots of Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Dallas, mm-hmm. Austin. Right. Yeah, it's I mean, true. It is. It, you know, this urban versus rural division on political leaning is is still something I don't think has been fully explored. And uh, Mm. people have looked at this and say, wow, it's because uh, African-Americans coalesce in the city. Well, you know, African-Americans, I think, are now less than 12% of the U.S. population. They're just not that big enough to swing anything. Yeah. Uh, and, And then you look at the proportion of people who vote. Well, listen, let me tell folks here, we are on, believe it or not, a milestone today, Q&A 90, 90, uh, we're on here as we talk about all of this. I want to spend just a couple of minutes and uh, with your Dr. McCullough as well and talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, we created this uh, amazing area of the platform, which has been tremendously, uh, people love it, AmericaOutloud.shop, where you can get all of these great products. I always tell you with these products, it's important for you to always do your own research. You know, our health, like me booking the physical uh, tomorrow, it's not something we want to take lightly. And you always want to do your own research, read the studies, read the research. Every one of these companies have research, they have studies, they have information there. Uh, but I want to touch a moment on a product that uh, Dee and I, my wife and I have been taking, uh, Healthy Cell, uh, has been tremendous. And they have a whole new host of products coming out as well, which I'm going to be talking about more and more. They've been working really, really hard. But the thing about Healthy Cell is that these nutraceuticals or microgels. And that's one of the things I was taught when I got more into this field is that the microgels, the, the liquid, it gets into your body. The absorption into your body is more immediate and 100% impactful, whereas you don't get all that with the pills and you you don't, you don't simply don't get all of that. One of the ones that we take is Immune Super Boost because of what's in the Immune Super Boost. It's got vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, echinacea extract, elderberry extract. I mean, it's like a nuclear bomb for the body in a good way. <laughs> and uh, But it's ultra absorption and that microgel gets into your body. And when you feel a little sick or something's not right too, you can double it up and take one in the morning, one at night, but it's an easy package. I put mine in a little bit of water because I take other things with it. But I think you take yours right out of the package, don't you, Peter? I do. And I tell you, when you're sick, GI absorption goes down, too. And I think you really want to be reaching for the microgel. I think that's Healthy Cells Innovation is the microgel. I've got a drawer up in my in my vanity. We have kind of a his and hers bathroom. And so on the guy side, my side, there's one drawer, and I've got the Healthy Cell lined out. Immune Super Boost, the uh, REM sleep supplement. And focus and and uh, recall, and uh, those really really are complementary products. They're the main ones. Now they've got a new cardiovascular supplement. And I tried it; it really tastes great. I think that's going to be one that's going to, I think, play a, a more prominent role over time. And of course, you you have the the skinny on the new products coming forward. Yeah, there's some new ones coming. I'm going to bring them out in the next couple of weeks so with folks. But uh, but anyways, Healthy Cell, you get 25% off with the code out loud is what I want to share with you. I've been t- I started Healthy Cell well before COVID and it really helped uh, my wife and I because uh, everything about COVID was about a healthy immune system. Everything in life actually is about a healthy immune system. And if you want to starve off some of these problems, you've got to have a lifestyle. And the lifestyle is a healthy immune system. And we learn a lot of this, actually, Peter, from 
earlier generations. I remember growing up as a kid around people that maybe didn't focus on their lifestyle and they paid a price for it when they got into their 50s and 60s, early, early, young age still, but had a lot more health problems. So you have to really value your health. That's life, isn't it? I mean, and you're, you as a medical doctor know that, but I know that as well. And you know how I am about lifestyle, Peter, you know? It's true. And you know, there, there probably are very subtle little deficiencies that result in symptoms that may seem minor. I'll give an example, recurrent aphthous ulcers in the mouth. And if anybody listening has had a canker sore, one thing I've learned about them is almost always due to a minor micronutrient deficiency. And I, I used to get them all the time, Malcolm, when I was younger, never took any vitamins or supplements. And and I saw a bunch of different doctors and the guy said, you know, you're just low on something. Why don't you just take a multivitamin twice a day? And if you're in any type of deficiency state, by the way, take it twice a day, give two opportunities for GI absorption and lo and behold, they went away and I just do not get them. I think other examples are, you know, skin being dry, hair that tends to fall out uh, more than it should, uh, restlessness, fatigue, you know, some of these can be signs that, you know, the body just needs a boost. Yeah, that's exactly it. I really believe it makes all the difference in the world. And a lot of people right now are detoxing as well. That that has become a big deal now with COVID, all of the stuff. And they want to detox, get the vaccines out of the system, get the spike protein out of the system, get the long COVID out of the system, get these colds, influenza, RSV, just and detox is a is a tool you can use. I've done it and I've done these uh, 72. Uh, they're they're not easy to do, Peter. I'm a 72 hour um uh, a fast, a 72 hour wow. fast as well. Wow. There's something, I mean, three days with nothing. I've done them and uh, there, and I'm, I feel like I need to do another. Well, I'm going to see what the doctor says tomorrow before I do anything uh, on my physical. But anyways, I, it, it, there's something about that. I have to tell you, when you get to the other side of that, after a 72 hour fast, just drinking only water, nothing else. You really feel really interested. And I'll tell you, well, when you sit down and you have a meal, it won't be a big one after that, but you actually feel really good and your system feels really good. So there's something about it. You know? Do you get headaches when you eat that, Malcolm? No, I have not. No, I did not. Uh, I, again, a lot of water. I drink, remember I tell you all the time, I That's drink right. a lot of water naturally. So I drink more water than anybody I know. Yeah, you you I will a, probably never get a kidney stone. I don't think so. I mean, I have a big thing right now in front of me, my uh, water. It's my big red uh, uh, container here. My big red uh, life is good, it says on it. It's a little guy with a backpack and a little dog on there. Reminds me of me walking out in the mountains somewhere. Life is good. Drinking my water, Peter. That's the deal. Uh, so <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, so you, obviously you make a lot of trips to the restroom during the day. A lot. A lot. But, but do you have to get up at night and go? Not too bad. Uh, listen, and, and again, full disclosure, I'll be with you all the time, but just a couple of times, that's nothing compared to the water. Like, let me just tell you, I drink water all through the night. I drink water up until if I go to bed at midnight or depending on my deadlines, if it's one in the morning or whatever, I'm drinking water right up till midnight or one in the morning. I don't stop here, like really. So yeah. no, I don't have to get up all night. I mean, what's a couple of trips? That's nothing, right? I tell you, you're blessed. You know, it, it, one thing I've learned is that when you, especially men, so I'll speak to the men out there. If you're getting up at night to go yeah. to the bathroom, couple points. One is it can be symptomatic of just being a light sleeper and you feel just a little urine in the bladder if you go. And if you're having to go and it's a small volume, right. it may be symptomatic of just not sleeping as well. And, and th there is where the healthy cell REM sleep supplement plays a huge role. I know this uh, myself. 
Now, another thing is if swelling is developing towards the socks, down by the ankles through the day. Now, when you lay down at night, your body has to reclaim all that fluid that's actually kind of created the swelling. It's called plasma refill. And and that process will result in urination, you know, through the night. Uh, And then finally, uh, the prostate. People always want to, you know, basically want to blame the male prostate. Well, the prostate makes a smaller volume of urine more noticeable to a man in the bladder. That's really what it does. It kind of strangles the, the what's called the trigone of the bladder, the base of the bladder. But uh, the bottom line is the prostate itself is not responsible for the urine. It's it's these other factors. And I, I know for me, it's variable. Now, if I you know, if I eat a salty meal, I think that's a big determinant. Drink fluids at a restaurant and what have you. I can almost guarantee I'm going to have to get up and go twice. Like last night, I had to get up and go twice. However, if I'm judicious, if I shut off those fluids, let's say after 8 p.m., right. and let's say I hit the hot tub, which I have one in Texas. My wife and I hit the hot tub, so we're really relaxed when we go to bed, and I have a deep sleep. I'll sleep the whole night, and I get up, I'll have a full bladder and go. When you get up in the morning after you sleep, let's say, eight hours or seven hours, you should have a full bladder. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I know some people, they go when they have just have a little bit. I don't have that problem, luckily. So, but, but I, listen, as far as the trade off goes, I still like to drink the water right into the evening. For me, I'd rather get up twice and go and be done with it. But to me, uh, it just cleanses you out, cleans you out. And yeah, so no, I don't, uh, luckily. But, I, are, but Malcolm, when you're drinking all this water, are you thirsty? Is, is it is it thirst that drives it? Or That's a drink- hell of a question. Uh, that is a really good question. Um, I, I think a little bit. I think it's, you know, it, it maybe just the habit for me. Is that possible? Maybe it's just habit. Well, do you know how much water an average adult drinks? Uh, I I know, but I don't know. I've been told many times, but I don't remember. What is yeah, it? But it turns out the data I know, it's about 1.2 liters. Yeah, okay. 1,200 so milliliters. Right, right. That's not that much. No, it's not I at mean, all. Uh, no, it's a not can all. Of, a can of Coke is 355 milliliters. So the average person is drinking like the equivalent of four cans of a pop. That's it. Wow. Which isn't much. I mean, I drink that before nine in the morning. Uh, you know, I mean, really, I drink that before nine in the morning. There's, so, fact, so uh, what do you think you're drinking? Like four liters a day? Or well, yeah, I, I got to see well, how much is in this red one. But I probably drink um, two. This big red container here, probably about twelve to fifteen a day. What? So that's oh, a lot of water. I got to see how much is in here. I will find out. I'll, I'll report back to you. It's on the yeah, bottom. Set the record. Well, one thing I have to say, just for the listeners out there, beware of kidney stones. Uh, forty about- ounces. There's forty ounces in this red. I just looked at the bottom without tipping it over. Forty ounces in this uh, red uh, deal here. Yeah. Forty. Okay. And and uh, how many? That's of those a hell of a lot more than a can of Coke. I can tell you that much. Oh yeah, Coke is only twelve ounces. Yeah. Okay. So figure it so, out. So 40 and I'm doing, uh, yeah, I'm probably doing tw- one, two, three, five. I've got to guess about a dozen a day. Yeah. So that's a lot of water. Jeez. Massive. Well, here's the thing. Uh, about 3% of adults get kidney stones. So those of you out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. They hurt. They start with fl- uh, pain up and around the flank area. It radiates to the groin, pee out blood have to see a urologist and the stone's got to pass or if it gets stuck then you have to you have to go up through the urethra and pull it out with a basket or local laser ultrasounded or do what's called lithotripsy go in like a specialized bathtub and get ultrasonic 
pulverization of the stone. I mean, it is a big deal. I remember when my brother got a kidney stone. I was at a restaurant. He nearly passed out. And Never he, had him. You know, really, really had him. T- took time out of his his day to you know to go see a urologist, get an IV, do all this stuff, and it's all avoidable. Uh, you will never get a kidney stone because you're drinking like a fish. I don't get kidney stones. And you know the other benefit is if you have a glass or two of wine in the evening, uh, and you'll and I'll, if I'm going to have a glass of wine, I like red wine, and which is great. But listen, uh, the water, you never have the problem of the alcohol because it flushes out of your system. You know that? Yeah. Well, you always maintain your volume. You're not volume contracted. You know, I think once we get off air, I'm going to drink some more water. Uh, before I go home, you've convinced me. But this kidney stone risk, I, I do want people to be aware. It's largely avoidable. The things that, that really prompt kidney stone formation is um, uric acid. And what drives that is largely uh, red meats and also brown colas. Brown uh, colas. Worse stuff for you. Worse stuff for you. Phosphatidic acid. Don't drink soda. Don't drink cola. Don't drink any of that stuff. You, know, you don't drink these, that stuff, right? You know, some of these people... Uh, drink 12 Diet Cokes. Oh, it's ridiculous. And it's very bad for your body. You don't drink soda, right? No, I have one as a treat every so often, but it's not, I don't drink gallons of it. And I, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, yeah, no, uh, no, no. I don't, I don't have it at home, for instance. Yeah. So, um, you know, All maybe right. if, if I want to treat, treat myself, but the point is the human bladder and the, the kidneys, they, they want to have water. That's it. They don't well, want, they don't I want got the recipe. Stuff. I got the recipe. They don't recipe. want brown stuff. They really don't want coffee. They don't want tea. They don't want brown cola. They want water. Wow. Well, there you go. I drink my water. I get out and walk, what have you. I drink the the, the red 40-ounce. Now I know it's 40-ounce container that says life is good. Life is good. AmericaOutloud.shop. Get your discount for the healthy cell. there, the 25% off the first order. While you're there, check out Cofix Rx and Clear. Both are phenomenal nasal hygiene products. Clear has the xylitol in it. Pharmacy, drugstores, you can get that. It's fantastic. And the uh, Cofix RX, get it right through the site. Hit the uh, thing there. They have a new throat spray as well. You get 25% off using the code OUTLOUD25. So I want to give you that information as well. Great products in that shop. Check it all out. Q&A 90. We're coming up with some great questions in just a moment here. We'll take a pause on America Out Loud Pulse. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. One of the biggest advances in nutraceuticals and supplements is healthy cell. And the healthy cell line is extensive. I typically focus on the microgel technology. Three major products here, Immune Super Boost, the Focus and Recall, and then the REM Sleep Supplement. Each one of these is complementary and they can uh, have a role, I think, in the health of your life each and every day. I know they do in my case. Many of you know After COVID-19 twice, I spent almost the entire year in 2022 with an upper respiratory tract illness. Now, thankfully, and I've been diligent with the immune super boost in the morning, followed by focus and energy, and then in the evening time, the REM sleep supplement. The microgel technology works, and boy, does it work fast. So go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, 
find the banner bar for Healthy Cell, click on it, and that'll take you to the site to get a discount on your purchase of all Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Okay, my fellow Americans, we join you back here. It is indeed Malcolm Out Loud here along with Dr. Peter McCullough and uh, privileged to be with you always. Thank you for joining us on the broadcast here. We're working hard here on AmericaOutloud.news. Uh, is the platform and please share the truth we have so much great content back there just amazing just uh, uh, you know where the blessings of all of this that we do here is we get to work with amazing people spend the gift of a lifetime purely uh, we're blessed really blessed to have the people we can work with here on this network is there's nothing like it anywhere in the world uh america out loud uh talk radio and america out loud dot news it's totally different it's unique so check it out I want to jump to some questions here at Q&A 90. Uh, Joni says, I'm 74 years young. I already like your attitude, Joni. I did not take any of the COVID shots and had COVID once. I've been in good health with the exception of recently being diagnosed with minor colitis. It started approximately nine months ago and gradually got worse. I also know two of my girlfriends that have been diagnosed with colitis. And one friend claims all of her sisters have recently been diagnosed too. I'm cautiously concerned that this diagnosis is because of the spike proteins and the vaccines that are being shed. It seems odd to me that so many women in my age range have the diagnosis. I know for certain if I were to ask my gastroenterologist the question, he would never answer my question, honestly. Uh, uh, so they're asking here, should I consider taking the three, oh, the natokinase, the bromelain, and curcumin uh, to get rid of the spike proteins? And what's your honest opinion? I think it's possible that COVID-19 illness could flare a, you know, various forms of inflammatory bowel disease. We know by the work of Sabine Hazen that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, Malcolm, is in the GI tract. 
You know, when you get sick and you get uh, nasal congestion, whenever you swallow a lot, you swallow probably a couple of cups of mucus a day. That's really gross to think of, but wow. you really do. And the CDC has been tracking wastewater data on uh, sewer water data on SARS-CoV-2. And the, the U.S. sewer system has been loaded with the virus for four years now. Wow. So I guarantee it's passing through the GI tract. It's not beyond the range of reason that this could flare colitis. Uh, and why not give an attempt on a detox, natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin? It's called triple base detoxification, McCullough protocol. Now, having said that, the one caveat would be bleeding. If it's ulcerative colitis and there's bloody diarrhea, I wouldn't risk it. It could make the bleeding worse. Otherwise, give it a shot. Make sure you take the natokinase, the bromelain, and the curcumin. And we have the doses on our website, on the COVID materials. Uh, take it in between meals so it gets absorbed. Yeah. Uh, when you go to news on your uh, laptop or what have you, on the left sidebar, down a little bit, COVID resources, you'll find, in fact, you'll find the, the McCullough protocol right there. In fact, that people still look for and still want. Uh, you'll find a lot of cool stuff in there, including the clinical rationale for SARS-CoV-2, uh, the detoxification. Uh, that is a, a, a marvelous post. There's all kinds of great stuff in here, uh, I'll tell you. So take a look at that COVID resources. I want to get on to this one from Anita. Uh, Dr. McCullough, I was double jabbed two years ago, no boosters. Okay, I have a few questions about the spike detox. On my bottle of the narrokinase, it says to take only once a, once a day. The same with the curcumin, but you recommend it twice a day. Is it okay to take twice? When is the ideal to take the supplements? Do I take them with food or empty stomach? Finally, when I get optimum results with just, will I get optimum results with just the two of the supplements, uh, the narrokinase 2000 and the curcumin 500 milligrams? Uh, both once a day for the last few months, I'm feeling better, but I'm just curious. I want to maximize the results is what Anita's saying. Yeah, go twice a day if you're going to maximize it in between meals. Let's say, you know, 10 a.m., 3 p.m. would be reasonable. One capsule twice a day at that formulation. Uh, and go natokinase uh, as well as bromelain. Remember, curcumin is the third one. Yeah. And that actually works. Uh, it's uh, It works to improve symptoms, lower inflammatory factors. And that would maximize things. But it's so great to hear that she's already getting better. Yeah. on just one dosing per day. This yeah. is great news. We've been, you know, we're, we're trying to feel, we want people to be objective about this because we don't have large randomized trials and it's really helpful for people to give their feedback, either bad or good. If they're not getting better, we there you go. And so that's now, that's, and I want you to hear Dr. McCullough right there. I mean, people ask me all the time, you're, I mean, you always, you're the most credible voice. You, you'll you always say the truth, whatever it is. You're, there's no uh, alliances or allegiances or anything else. So people ask me that question. I said, no, he's as genuine as can be. And right there, what you just said, and, and I have to say that to folks so they hear me say what I say. That's why they trust, because you're honest about things. Let me say now on top of that, now that I embarrass them, uh, but that uh, the wellness company has spike support uh, is a and is one of our partner sponsors here on the network. And you can get that at uh, shop. You get 25% off of it as well. And I need to tell you that because this is who makes this operation happen is all these great products. And we only deal with products that help people. That's it. We don't deal with other things. So you have to you have to know that. This one's from Norman. Is it possible that the deaths we saw early on from the bad batches and the ones we see today from the weaker ones 
the mechanism being that the weaker doses are designed to kill people later to avoid suspicion? Could that be a possibility or is it just the bad batches we should worry about? Wow, that's a loaded question from Norman. <laughs> it's hard to know intent, but there are data, mm-hmm. by the way, the Schwelling data from Denmark, fully published in peer-reviewed literature. When I met with Dr. Verbecki Manici and I talked with her about the data, it's true the more uh, deleterious batches with the highest number of serious adverse events, they were early on. They were early on. And um, and it is possible that the later batches, in a sense, are, are safer. They may have less hyperaggregation of the messenger RNA. Uh, but a lot of what we're seeing now with these cardiac arrests, and we're trying to piece it together, that, you know, likely vaccine-related, many of them, sadly, Malcolm, are occurring from the injections in 2021, the earlier injections. Yeah, they were damaging. They were very damaging. And then top, on top of all the boosters, that's why these people are some of the sickest people. You know, it's have, true. Have the, to... the boosters. Let me say one more thing here. You, you know, if this was a drug, it would have gone through all this preclinical testing to mm. see if it had toxicity within the organs, caused blood clotting, uh, you know, caused birth defects or caused uh, cancer. There's all these standard preclinical testing. The vaccine skipped all that. But on top of it, when they first rolled out, Americans were told, listen, you take two shots and you're done primary series and you're done. That's all you need to do. That's what Americans are told. The vast majority of people had the social contract that they were going to do this once and that was it. And then within a few months, they said, well, now you got to take them every six months. Well, there's never been any cumulative safety testing done. That is, you know, does does the toxicity build up over time with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine shots, Malcolm? There are nine shots right now. Uh, we don't have the the published data. What I can tell you clinically is I think it is cumulative. I think the risks do progressively increase with every shot. Come back 10 years from now and it'll be the CDC is still pushing shot number 42. (laughs) God only knows. Uh, This one's from Andrew. Uh, Andrew, Dr. McCullough, I'm pulling my hair out. What's left of it? Well, I didn't hear a lot of guys lose hair, but he must have been. I didn't. Most of the women I know did, but he's pulling his hair out. What's left of it? I'm trying to. uh, Oh, maybe he's just hair loss. That's uh, true, too. A lot of guys are. uh, Yeah. Anyways, uh, he's trying to understand what risk category I am in in the terms of what batch group I'm in. I took two shots of Pfizer. The first gave me a sore arm, headache and flu like symptoms the next day. Wow. The second gave me a sore arm. Mm. You said previously a sore is a proxy for heart damage. Does this mm. mean all vaccinated have myocarditis? And what risk group would you put me in? What does the prognosis do say? Well, look up how bad is my batch. And, and it's ranked, I think, from one to 160 something. See if you, you know, where in general you fall on those batches. But having a sore arm is a proxy for potential heart damage paper by Schwab, uh, autopsy level data, and now Nakahara with abnormal PET scanning. I do ask that in my practice. Uh, This person is not at the zero risk level. Um, Chances are there's no symptoms now, everything's fine. What's the general recommendation? We're recommending the triple base detoxification, McCullough protocol base spike protein detoxification, natokinase 2000 units twice a day, bromelain 500 milligrams a day and curcumin 500 milligrams twice a day as a safety precaution. It's a proposal uh, just to make sure we don't get burned with some complication later on. We've, we've had people two years later have a blood clot 
well, we don't know if this can prevent a blood clot, but we do know the spike protein is causing the blood clots. And we know this supplement combination does have supportive data to help the body get rid of the spike protein. That's the theoretical basis to do detoxification. All right, this next one's from Megan. I wanted to know your thoughts on the safety and ingredients in the new RSV vaccine for infants. Does it involve the mRNA or is it just the monoclonal antibodies? Okay. The children, the babies at birth are actually getting a monoclonal antibody, which is a depot injection. And it has to hurt, Malcolm. These monoclonal antibodies are always painful injections. I just cannot imagine a a newborn on day one is getting a monoclonal antibody injection. We have no safety testing. We have no idea if this is going to be safe or interfere with the natural immune response that Mm. the babies should be getting because they all get exposed to RSV. Now, later on, Older children and adults, what's been proposed now is an antigen-based prefusion protein vaccine. Uh, And in the published studies, it's marginally effective. Very few people get RSV. And if they get it, we treat it with a nebulizer. It's not so, even if I had a child with asthma or, or, you know, mother had concerns regarding lung disease, I'd say, listen, get a $20 nebulizer and be ready. And if the child gets RSV, I can prescribe a butyral budesonide, get them out of trouble quickly. There are, you know, tens of thousands of RSV ER visits and hospitalizations per year in the United States, but most of them are very minor. Uh, We don't have a significant mortality threat. And I want to caution parents about monoclonal antibodies and vaccines with no long-term safety testing. We have no idea what's going to happen. Well, safety testing has got to be the lesson and the key out of this exercise of the last few years. And everybody needs to know that. Anybody who's pushing anything onto a public without having it done, gone through that, forget about it. It's not a good deal. This next one's from Elizabeth. Thank you, Dr. McCullough and Malcolm, for all that you do. Since I've heard Dr. McCullough cite in reports from autopsies, describing damage from the vaccine. Is he referring to private autopsies or autopsies from donated bodies to hospitals? I live in Dallas and would like to donate my body for research, but I don't know the best place for that since most hospitals seem to be acknowledging a problem with vaccine injuries. I'm 79 and had two Moderna shots in early 21. I have no known problems so far, but I think my donated body might be helpful to the study. But I'm concerned about which hospitals would be intent on studying, revealing such findings. How do I go about researching this? Any recommendations? Boy, that's a challenge. Most of the autopsies are determined by the medical examiner. The medical examiner should be uh, you know, ordering autopsies on unexpected deaths. Uh, clearly, doctors and hospitals can talk to family members and uh, request an autopsy if they think it, it can help the, the understand the patient's case or the family. Uh, then, of course, the patient in this case can request an autopsy uh, themselves. But most of the body donations go to medical school for anatomic pathology. Obviously, there's donations for um, you know for organ harvesting afterwards. Uh, but I'd, I'd contact a local Department of Pathology in Dallas, certainly can contact um, the Baylor Department of Pathology. I'm very familiar with that group and simply have a phone conversation. They're very friendly and indicate you know, these wishes and, and how can it possibly be done. Uh, the ones that are reported, that we're reporting in the literature are mixed. Most of them are physician ordered. Some of them have been medical examiner ordered. But the point is, when autopsies are done after the vaccine, more times than not, it's the vaccine that's the cause of death. All right. 
This one's from uh, Francesca. I had two shots in mid-21. I'm hopeful because of all you people and many others are. I don't get that. Dr. McCullough spoke recently about the cardiomyopathy. How do you check for cardiomyopathy? I recently had an EKG and an echocardiogram on my heart, and they did not find anything and was told it was fine. Given all that is going on, I don't trust anything. Dr. McCullough, is a clear EKG and echocardiogram a sign of no cardiomyopathy? It's true. A normal EKG and a normal echo rules out serious forms of cardiomyopathy. What was reported by Nakahara was on cardiac PET scanning, which is looking at the cardiac metabolism within six months of a vaccine. She's more than two years afterwards. I think she's in the free and clear. Okay. All right. Uh, this next one sounds similar to the other one, but this is from Bailey. I took two shots in 21. The first gave me a sore arm and flu-like symptoms the following day. And the second only gave me a sore arm. I suffer from palpitations and sometimes get tight chest as I suffer from anxiety. I checked my batches and they are in the medium risk category. I am taking the natokinase, curcumin, and bromelon, had a heart scan and EKG, no MRI, and they're told me I'm okay. I understand it's difficult, but based on that, how would you say the prognosis looks for me? I think prognosis looks okay. I, the uh, cardiac MRI is an option here, but when there are any of these types of additional symptoms, uh, you know, I typically prescribe colchicine. Colchicine in the co-corona trial was very effective in helping people, you know, get through COVID. Uh, it's uh, it, we have a, a manuscript in that's actually been submitted today uh, on this. Uh, it is a helpful addition. So this would be one where the patient may prompt colchicine because there are some pleural pericardial symptoms. That's the lining of the heart and lungs. And it's, it's maybe minor. It may feel some uh, palpitations, discomfort, uh, but why not play it safe? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Last one we're going to get in right here is uh, okay. Can a vaccinated man transmit any portion of the vaccine to an unvaccinated woman during sexual intercourse? This is from Karen. You're the only person I trust to answer that question. The answer is probably yes. Probably for sure during the first 30 days after the vaccine, it may extend out to 90 days. We don't know. Now, uh, can the messenger RNA, you know, survive the you know, the, the semen and the vaginal secretions, can it get absorbed? That's all sufficiently unknown. There's never been a case of sexually transmitted messenger RNA proven to vaccinate another person so far, but we'll keep our eyes open. Okay, my friends, that is a wrap here. Q&A 90, got to a lot of questions there. It's good, we got a lot of information in today's show. Hey, thank you for joining us on the mission here on America Out Loud Pulse. Always a beat ahead. Thank you.